Uh, Psalm 34, the whole thing, Psalm 34, verses 1 through 22, which can be found on page 869 in your pew Bibles. And if you were paying attention to the words we were singing when we were singing Psalm 34, this should sound really familiar. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we thank you for your word, which you have given to us. Lord, you have told us that we do not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from you. Lord, we ask that you would help us this morning to, uh, to feed on your word, or that you would give us, um, that you would give us life. We pray that you would help us to understand. But more than understanding, we pray that you would help us to receive it. To receive it into our lives. God, that by your word and by your spirit, you would continue to change us into the people that you have made us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Psalm 34 uh, of David. He says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones, not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. And turning into our New Testament lesson, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. And this is continuing what Paul is saying to the church in uh, Ephesus as a response to what God has done for us in Jesus. And then how then do we live? And here is some of what he says. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. 
nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning, as you've already seen on the bulletin cover, we have a giant question mark, and there may be uh, questions that you have had uh, in your life. We were thinking about this the other day with um, someone was talking about kindergarten teachers and just how many questions they get per day. (laughs) And if you think about that, when you're very young, there's a lot of questions. And if you've ever parented a very young one, you know that there are a lot of questions. And it's not something that it seems that we necessarily grow out of either. If you watch a lot of the game shows, what kinds of game shows they have, there's a bunch of them that are trivia question shows, right? Let's see who knows the answer to these questions. And that's the Jeopardy just took that whole thing and turned it on its head. We'll give you the answer, you'd give us the question. But it's these question and answer games that we want to see. And then they have uh, trivia nights at various bars, etc., where people get together just to answer trivia questions. And there's something about this idea of being able to answer these questions um, that appeals to us. So here's a story. You've probably heard this one before. And it was a Sunday school class where a, um, a Sunday school teacher is asking the kids, uh, you know, what is an animal that is small and furry, big bushy tail, stores acorns for the winter? Now, finally she calls on one of them, and he's like, I mean, it sounds like a squirrel, but I know the answer is Jesus. Right. <laughs> We're going to look this morning at a passage where there are five questions that get asked, two by the disciples, three by Jesus, that are not trivia. These are important questions for us to come to grips with, um, But why I tell you the story of the the kid in the Sunday school class is because at the end of all this, it would be trivia for you to be able to tell me what were those five questions. What, What are the answers to those five questions? What I want you to remember from all of the five questions we're going to go through and uh, the answers that are given, etc., it all comes back to Jesus. That Jesus is the answer in this whole thing. (laughs) And we're going to go through and we're going to see how this all points to Jesus uh, throughout and, and for us as well. But I want you to have uh, that distinction in mind. We're going to look at a bunch of questions, but the point is not to memorize these questions. The point is to see how all of it is all about Jesus. So turn with me. This is John chapter 6, starting in verse 60. This is actually the, the fifth Sunday of our series, no, sixth, some, I don't know. I think it's the fifth Sunday in our series through just this one chapter in John. We normally spend about you know two weeks, maybe three in a particular chapter. This one we've spent five weeks. Um, it is long and it is important. Uh, 
And here we have kind of the, the end result, at least for this group of people, uh, for what's been going on here. So here we go. We're going to first question right off the bat. Verse 60 says, On hearing it, many of the disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Well, we need some context, don't we? <laughs> that verse by itself doesn't tell us much of anything. And so uh, we get a couple pronouns. On hearing it, you know, who can accept it? Well, what is it? It's the teaching, right? This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? On hearing it, what is the it they heard? It's the teaching. It's the teaching they consider a hard teaching. Well, what is this hard teaching? Well, it's what we've seen in the uh, previous part of this chapter. And this is where Jesus, who is now teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum, on the north uh, side of the Sea of Galilee, he's teaching the crowds who have come and followed him after being fed on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in the wilderness. And we had 5,000 men plus women and children, and there's just a few you know, loaves of bread and some fish, and Jesus gives thanks, and he breaks it, and he distributes it, and it feeds everybody in the wilderness. And we saw this as being a sign of who he is as God had fed his people in the wilderness. Now here we have Jesus doing, as he says, just what his, he sees his father doing. And so he's feeding people in the wilderness. And then he leaves and he walks on water. His disciples get to see that uh, as they go to the other side. But the crowds follow him the next day. And what are they looking for? Another meal. They're just wanting another meal to uh, have, you know, another free lunch, just like we had yesterday. And what Jesus has been saying to them is, if that's all you're looking for, you've, you've missed what this is about. Can Jesus provide them food? Absolutely. But the food is not the end. That is not the end goal. It's just more food. Because what that was doing is actually pointing to something much more significant than just the food. And so they say, you know, Moses gave us food in the wilderness. Why don't you just give us some more food? And he said, no, I'm greater than Moses. And I'm actually the bread that you need. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. But whoever eats, uh, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. That's what he's just said to them. When then they start going, you know, I don't know if we can take that. This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And when they say that this is a hard teaching, I don't think that what they mean is that this is a hard teaching to understand. I don't think they mean we don't understand the claims that he's making. I think the, when they say who can accept it, that's the hardness of this teaching. Is they say this is a guy that we have known his parents, we've known his family in this area. He's grown up, he's you know, worked with his dad as a carpenter, stonemason, depending on... Anyway, but he's grown up in this area. We know him. We know his family. And here he is claiming to be greater than Moses. He's the one who's claiming to actually be the word of God made flesh. He's the one that we are supposed to feed. He's the one who's going to give us life. Who does he think he is? Another good question. Who does he think he is? That's why they're saying this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Who can look at this man and say, yeah, that's God. I need to feed on him. And so they start grumbling. That's question one. Here's the next question. 
Verse 61, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. I think this is one of the, there are some sad verses in the Bible. I think this is one of the saddest. Jesus asks them, does this offend you? And apparently the answer is yes for a lot of them. That they find offense at his claims to be who he is. And so their response is to turn away. And he says, you know, in that, what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? I had one commentary that I read pointed out that you can take this, you know, does this offend you in two different ways, and it works both ways. That for those who accept him, when he says, you know, then what if you see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? That will take away the offense. They'll see, oh, yes, this is who you are. But for those who have rejected him and they see him ascend, it just increases the bitterness. It increases the offense. And so this is uh, where he then says, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. We talked last week about this idea of Jesus kind of being, in describing himself this way, is sort of putting himself in the position of, you know, just like the, the tree of life in the Garden of Eden for Adam and Eve. That Jesus is saying, this is what he is for everybody. And so with Adam and Eve in the garden, they have access to this tree of life. And as long as they're eating from the tree of life, they will live. But when they have turned away from God and they go out of the garden then, they no longer have access to the tree of life. And what does that mean? But their eventual death. And Jesus is putting himself in that same kind of uh, relationship to all humanity and saying, it's me that you need. In the same way he said, uh, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And we see that that's what John 1 describes Jesus as being, is the word itself. But the word became flesh and made its dwelling, tabernacle among us. This is who Jesus is. This is the claim that he's making. And this is why he says, uh, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. There's an unfortunate translation here when it says the uh, flesh counts for nothing because it makes it seem uh, like what Jesus is saying is bodies are unimportant. The flesh counts for nothing, right? I think a better translation here is something like uh, the flesh on its own accomplishes nothing. That kind of idea. That's what's being communicated here. Which, if you turn to Ephesians chapter 2, that's very much what Paul is communicating in the church in Ephesus. All right? That in our sins and transgressions, how does he put it? He says, we were, <laughs> we were dead. You're dead in your transgressions and sins 
in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And then he says later, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And so if you think about the image that Paul is using, it's the same kind of image that Jesus is using. If you have a dead body, can that dead body do anything on its own? No. It needs something, uh, some life-giving force from the outside to give it life, right? And that's what Paul says is happening with us spiritually. That on our own, we are dead in our own sin and transgression, but it is by the grace of God that in Jesus Christ, he has made us alive. This is what Jesus is talking about when he's uh, talking to these people saying the flesh counts for nothing. That it is uh, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing, can accomplish nothing on its own. It's the same image that he uses later when he talks about, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In John 15, go look up how he describes the whole thing. Uh, it's, it's this same idea. It's also what he talks about with Nicodemus in John chapter 3 when he talks about the need to be born again. And Nicodemus, of course, still thinking physically only, is like, well, how can a person crawl back in their mother's womb? And he's like, no, no, no. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. The flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. All right? That this is what he's been talking about consistently the whole way through. And this is where he says, you know, to this crowd that's still looking for just physical bread, and he's saying, no, what I'm offering you is so much more than that. What I'm offering you is actually life-giving and life-sustaining spiritually and forever. And yet he then still says, yet there are some of you who do not believe. And as I say, verse 66 is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Is after hearing this offer of life from the giver of life himself. There are people who just turn away. And I feel like as we're reading this, that we should be on the edges of our seats watching this crowd as they listen to Jesus. And as he's making this sort of presentation, we should be on the edge of our seats rooting for them to just say yes to Jesus. He is the one who has life. He is the one who's the giver of life. He is the, he is the tree of life. And it's like watching Adam and Eve and just kind of walk away. And you're like, no, you can't do that. Stay there. Stay with him. Feed on him. Receive life in him. Say yes to him. And then instead, they turn and they walk away. And we're just like, no. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And we see the same thing today. I thought it was a really weird thing when I got up this, you know, in here this morning. And it's a much smaller crowd than usual. <laughs> what does that mean? Anyway, um, hopefully it's not what's going on here. <laughs> that after... Uh, after last week's sermon, and he just walked away no longer. I hope not. I hope not. Um, but at the same time, it's kind of a good visual aid for us. Because what happens at this point is Jesus looks around and he sees, you know, the 12. Now, what do we start with? 
started with like 5,000 men plus women and children that have all been, and I don't know that they all came over, but a whole bunch of them came over, and it's talked about as crowds came over. And when it says, at this point, uh, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him, it's like the whole crowd. And so it's not like, well, some people do, some people don't. It's like most of the people walked away at this point. And as I say, not because they didn't understand. When they say it's a hard teaching, who can accept it? It's not because they didn't understand. It's because they did understand the claims Jesus was making, and they said, no, thank you. We don't believe that you are who you claim that you are. We don't believe that you can give life that no one else can give. We don't believe that we need you. So they walk away. And at this point, Jesus turns to the 12 who are left and asks them a question. Verse 67. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Now, why would he ask this? Like everybody's left. There's, it's gone away and there's only 12 people left. And Jesus is like, there's the door, <laughs> right? You don't want to leave too, do you? Go ahead. You're going to leave. Aren't you going to follow everybody? And this is where I think the question is not because Jesus is needing information. And you can, this is a theme you can read through the whole Bible. When God asks questions, when Jesus asks questions, it's not for lack of information. There's always something else going on. And I think what's going on when Jesus asks them, uh, you don't want to leave too, do you? He's asking for them to make that, you know, draw the line in the sand. To make that commitment, not just with where they're standing, but even what they're saying about it. And so uh, the way that this is answered is Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And what is happening right here is they are declaring that we're with you. There are going to be times when the crowds kind of come and go with Jesus. And what these disciples are saying is, no, we're not following the crowd. We're following Jesus. That's where the line is. And so there will be times when the crowds are all following Jesus and the disciples are kind of caught up in that too and it looks like it's all the same thing. But the crowds will come and go. And what the disciples are declaring is they are not following the crowds, they are following Jesus, whether the crowds are there or not. That's important. It's important for us as well. And we will see that even making this declaration, there's still, there's still some fickleness to these disciples, as we'll see the night he gets arrested. But it's important for them to make this declaration, to have this moment where they kind of draw the line in the sand and they say, we are with you and not with the crowds. And where you go is where we go. And the reason that they say it is also important. They say that we've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. You know, who else are we going to go to? You have the words of eternal life. And so we can think about it in terms of uh, the tree of life uh, and what it means to walk away from that. I think that's in view here. Um, let's bring a little bit more modern day. 
almost hate to go here before this may stir up, but when it comes to uh, things like space exploration, I like that stuff. I do. I think the technology is super cool. I think the things that we're able to discover about what God has made all over the place is really neat. And so there are all these uh, talks about missions to Mars and actually even sending people to Mars. And uh, yeah, I think that's really exciting. I personally have no desire to ever go to Mars. Has anybody read the, the book, The Martian? Seen the movie? Anything? It's interesting. It's, it's, it's well done. Um, but the idea is there's a person uh, who's on Mars who's trying to survive. And so here's what I'm thinking as I'm reading this part of... <laughs> weird way the mind works, right? As I'm reading this part of the disciples saying to Jesus, you know, where else are we going to go? And so I'm thinking about it, and you take it, this is the reason why I have no desire to go to Mars, is uh, you look at this planet and how abundantly rich it is with all sorts of things to sustain human life. And we have water to drink, and we have uh, plants and animals, and we have all, just all kinds of abundant goodness to sustain human life. And when I think about what Mars has to offer the same way, there's <laughs> nothing. It's nothing. That planet is just going to try to kill you all the time. That's what it is. And so you get there, and it's like, well, what can we maybe bring from the earth that will help to sustain us while we're there for a little bit? Oh, no, now we're out, and we're going to die. You know, <laughs> It has nothing there for sustaining life. And so while I'm excited about people going there and exploring it and finding out what that's you know, like, I have no desire to go there. And I feel like this is where Peter is. It's like looking at every other person he could follow in comparison to Jesus, and it's like, why would I go there? It has nothing to sustain life. You have the words of life. You have this abundant goodness that will sustain spiritually us forever. Why would we go somewhere else? I think one of the things they realize is there are teachers aplenty. But they don't need another teacher. They need a savior. And this is who Jesus is. I can follow other teachers, but those teachers can't save them. Jesus can. And they don't need somebody who just has more words. They need someone who is the word of God in flesh. Who else are we going to go to? There is no one else. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And that would be an excellent spot to end. But Jesus asks one more question. Verse 70, then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the 12? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the 12, was later to betray him. This is also an important question. When we look at the 12 and why they stay, we see the reason that they stayed is actually because these are the 12 out of all the 5,000, etc., etc., that Jesus has chosen to follow him, to receive this life in him. And yet, he says, and one of you 
is going to betray me. One of you, though you're making this declaration of we are with Jesus instead of with the crowd, he says, it's actually not with me, but with the devil. And so there is a sense in which even when all the crowd goes away and only these 12 are left, and we think, okay, now we know who's really on Team Jesus. We still don't know. We still don't know who's on Team Jesus. But it's important for us to know he knows. He knows. And still, if you watch the way in, that he works with these disciples and even the way that he works with Jesus, or <laughs> with Jesus even the way that Jesus works with Judas. He continues to extend grace to him. He continues to give him responsibility within the group of disciples. It's ridiculous. The night before Jesus goes to the cross, the very night that Judas is going to betray him, Jesus washes his feet. Sometimes we see things like this. And we say, okay, if I'm going to be on Team Jesus, that means I can't go with the crowd. i got to be with Jesus. True. And sometimes we think that means I need to be against the crowd. Not true. Jesus feeds the crowd even though he knows they're not going to follow him. He still extends grace and blessing to them. He still pleads with them to follow him even though he knows they're not going to. And the same is true for us. And then we say, okay, and if we are those who are on Team Jesus, there might be somebody in our midst who's not. And we need to figure out who it is. And we need to deal with them harshly. (laughs) And we don't see that either. We see Jesus saying from the beginning, he knows. He knows. And yet the way that he continues to treat uh, even the Judas in the midst, it's just like he treats the rest of the crowds. Grace. Blessing. This is not the way of the world. The way of the world is you decide which side you're on, and now you know who you're against. And Jesus says, no, that's not why I'm here. I've not come to condemn the world, but to save the world, right? And the way of the world is also to say, you find out that there's somebody in your midst who may be seeking to undermine the entire operation. You got to get rid of them and get rid of them fast. And there's a, there's a place for that that we see outlined later in the New Testament. But as to how you treat these people, it's the same way you treat everybody grace, mercy, and blessing. And this, like I say, is different than the way of the world. But this is the way of Jesus. And this is, as as Peter declares, Jesus alone has the words of life. So, we end where we began. Can anybody name all five questions that were asked? Doesn't matter. It's trivia. But what these questions all point to is Jesus as life, as the life giver, as the life sustainer, as the one who is the word made flesh, who we need to take into our own lives. He will give life to us now 
and forever. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.